right. Welcome, welcome, everybody. We're here at Open Support. So a couple of things to talk about really quick. I had posted in the Facebook group, if you guys are watching us on YouTube or Instagram or the other places online, then the link to this call is in the Investor Creator community on Facebook. So it's a free but private group that we have, and the Zoom link is posted there. So I posted yesterday, like, hey, what do you guys want to talk about? And uh, had a few different responses, not least of which was, how do we find deals? How do we scale around all of that? So I thought it would be a good conversation to talk about lead flow, lead quality, how do we market, all of those kinds of things, and then kind of bridge that into a conversation around scaling uh, a business, right? So in the meantime, if you guys are in on Zoom and you have a question, just raise your hand and we'll get to things here in just a moment. So how do we market? How do we find good deals? All of that. So the short answer is it depends. It depends first on if you have more time or if you have more money. So if you have more time, that it's going to make sense for you to go into more of a sweat marketing approach, which is exactly how I started. And I, I think that a lot of people start off thinking, well, if I don't have money to start the marketing, then I'm at a severe disadvantage and it can be slower, no doubt. But my entire business has been built on sweat marketing. So the sweat marketing that I did at the point that I started was I would buy a hundred bandit signs, uh, which would cost maybe a couple hundred bucks. And I would put them out on Friday night. So I'd get up, you know, either put them out late Friday night or very early Saturday morning, 3 a.m. And I would put out 25 to 50 signs a weekend. And then I would go pick them up early Monday morning. And the reason that I would pick them up is I would have the, the code enforcement officers Monday morning, whenever they started, uh, you know, after their coffee and their donuts about 930 in the morning on Monday, they would uh, go around town and pull my signs. And so I was in a position where I couldn't lose 25 to 50 signs a week. So I, I would put them out for the weekend traffic and a hundred signs which including the stakes and everything would cost me, you know, 300, 350 bucks would last me three or four months. So I'd put out 25 week one, probably get 22, 23 back, you know, I'd lose a few a week. And so I was in a position where I was able to stretch that marketing budget and it, it took some time, but whenever I got my first deal in, which was a deal that netted me 20,000 cash, a $17,000 note and $407 per month that $20,000 felt like 20 million because I, I didn't, I, th I had $300 in the bank. So, you know, it's, it's probably, I would say probably in my entire life, the biggest percentage gain of cash I've ever had. And I, I thought I was rich, you know, 23 years old with 20 grand. It's like, man, where's the club? You know, like, let, let, let's go, let's go crazy. Let, let's, let's take our friends out to lunch. And, uh, not really. I, luckily I spent the money back on the business. I bought a, an entire, uh, FedEx truck of bandit signs. And so the guy came to my grandmother's barn because I didn't have enough space to put it, nor would my wife be exceptionally happy with me uh, for putting a truckload of signs in the garage. And so he came to my grandmother's garage or barn and said, hey, I'm so excited. If you help me with this, my day's done. Literally the the entire truck is filled with, with signs, whatever you're ordered here. And so I showed him kind of what we did. We talked about real estate for a few, but that was really the first real, real cash pop that I ever had. So I was in a position, went from $300 in cash to $20,000 in cash, and then started to reinvest in the business. But it all started with sweat marketing. And so if you have more time than money, realize that that's not necessarily a disadvantage. It's just check your commitment. You know, we've had people that uh, did exactly what 
I just laid out there in terms of buying some bandit signs, putting them out on the weekends to scale their business. We've had people that have started off uh, in a position where they're driving Uber to pay for their ads. We've had people that have worked a part-time job to get the business up and going. And it really comes down to, you have to do whatever it takes. But um, let, let me contrast that with what I see people do. I've seen people say, well, I'm not really getting any leads. It's like, okay, well, what are you doing so far to get the business up and going? Well, I've sent out 10 letters. It's like, well, that's not going to do it. You know what I mean? Like it's not enough action, right? So if you're going to go to market with sweat marketing, then you have to have the commitment to see it through. So as an example, uh, we did a sweat marketing summit. This has been about a year ago, something like that, where Gabriel and Kinsey, husband, wife team uh, in the Nashville metro market, and they they said, uh, that they did a thousand dials to pre foreclosure that made two hundred thirty thousand. It's like okay, that's two hundred thirty dollars per dial. So does it make sense for you to make two hundred thirty dollars per dial? Well, I would su- submit if you're trying to break into the business, it probably does. But the question is, are you going to stop after twenty dials or fifty dials before you hit averages? Because if you're going to stop before you hit averages, you, it's just a waste of time. And that's what I see people, they they get frustrated because their commitment's not in check. The commitment is commit to the business from now on or die trying to get there. And I was telling someone just the other day, if you're in a position where you're starting and you set your goals, I've literally never seen anybody do the business for three, four, five years consistently and not hit the goals that they started off with. I've seen two things happen. I've seen the goals change over time. So the goals grow and that's exactly what's happened to me. So as an example, I remember, you know, six, seven years ago, we were trying to buy hundred K a month in equity and now buying hundred K a month would be a colossal, terrible month. <laughs> okay. But my goals grew over time. You know, that's what growth does is, is it gives you more vision. So I've seen that happen that, that the person that starts their goals grow. So that they never really feel like, ah, you know, I've really done it. And I think that's fair. And I've seen a lot of people quit. I've seen people you know, start off and say, well, you know, I think I might want to maybe kind of do this. And even the way that they start off and the way that they talk about maybe trying the business is wrong. You know, like everything's wrong. I wasn't going to go into this, but uh, I, I had this happen. We, I had to buy a laptop at the Best Buy uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, the, there was a kid that was in the Apple section, you know, seemed like a nice kid. And uh, he said, oh, man, you know, I, I really like your, your watch. I bought my watch whenever my net worth hit a million dollars to commemorate that. and." I said, well, thanks, man. You know, I appreciate it. You know, and I'm not much on being flashy and getting attention and that kind of thing, but he's, he's a young kid. And he's like, what do you do? I said, well, you know, I do real estate. And he was like, well, you know, that's great. I wish that I could do real estate. And I, I wish that I had the ability to do real estate. Now he seemed like a nice kid. You know, he, he seemed capable, but even his, his mannerisms, the way he talked about himself was wrong. And so he did not have the commitment. You know, he, he had no vision. If you have the vision and the commitment to see it through, then you can be successful in this. And I sent a video to a lady yesterday who said, hey, you know, I don't have a ton of cash. Can I do this? It's like, well, if it took money, I would still be pressure washing houses. You know, luckily it doesn't take a ton of cash. It's just, uh, and I, the only thing that was great about me is I had an, uh, an unwillingness to quit. That was it. So, uh, that's that. Now, if you have more money than time, 
then I recommend going to search ads. Okay. So go into the search engines where people are actively searching for us. I can't imagine a better lead source. And there's a much, there's a, a big difference between reaching out to someone through direct mail or cold calling or texting or what, what a lot of people do to, for, for someone to sell you something versus being in a position where someone is contacting you for you to buy something. So the negotiation frame is significantly different across those two. And so I would recommend that we want to be in a position where people are reaching out to us because they want us to buy something. Okay. The easiest way to do that is, is with search. So one time, this has been years ago, I had a lady that uh, typed in a search term, sell my house before I burn it down. Now, would you want to talk to someone that just typed that into Google? If you want to buy a house, I, su I su want to submit to you that maybe that's the kind of person that we want to talk to. And the situation was this, it was a husband, wife, they were going through a divorce. She contacted me and I didn't know that that's what she typed in. But during the triage call, the first call that we have with someone, I said, well, tell me about the house and what you got going on with it, which is question one of triage. And she said, well, uh, I need you to come buy this house before I burn it down. And my husband is in there. I was like, okay, we got somebody here that uh, we got a live one. And so I went to the house, I put it under contract, ended up uh, not working out because there was a title issue. But later on, when I looked at my keywords report, I saw that someone typed in, sell my house before I burn it down. It's like, okay, she literally typed that in, you know, and there, there are people out there that are like this. There are people out there that are like this. And so if, what ascertains do we have a motivated seller? So let's talk about that. Okay. We have a motivated seller if they're willing to discount price. Okay. Or we see that they're in the big five motivators. So if you look at my screen here, I have this segment here at the bottom. That is the big five motivators. So they're pre-foreclosure from, from this side over, pre-foreclosure, tired landlords, inheritance, health and safety, and divorce. So a majority of the transactions that we get, and certainly our big deals, the six-figure net deals, are deals that are in a position where people are dealing with a life circumstance that they have to get rid of the house. Okay. So if we have lead flow from, from these five people, then we're in a good position. And sometimes they're stacked. So the most motivated person potentially we've ever had was four of the five. They were behind on payments. They had tenants in the house that weren't paying. They just had a heart attack, so health and safety, and they had inherited this property. So would that be a motivated person? Yeah, for sure. So we want to be in a position where we're talking to these people. Now, if we're doing sweat marketing, we have really an advantage because pre-foreclosure is public record, okay? So in deed of trust states, you have substitute trustee filings that are public that show that the property is in some type of financial distress. You know, there's a, a pre-foreclosure or Liz pendants are filed, okay? Which is a court order to uh, take the property to through the foreclosure process, most generally. It's not all the time, but most generally, Liz pendants means foreclosure. What Liz pendants means, it's, it's Latin for pending uh, pending issue, right? So if you're in a lawsuit and there's a piece of real estate involved, then you can file a Liz pendants, even though it's not a foreclosure, it's a pending issue, okay? Tired landlords, we can find these through detainer warrants. So if you are evicting a tenant, a lot of times that creates a, a, a tired landlord. And so we can be in a position where you search public record for uh, detainer warrant filings or eviction filings and reach out to these people, either through direct mail, 
cold calling, that kind of thing that I don't like as much. But when you're doing sweat and marketing, you have more time than money. So you got to start somewhere. Okay. Inheritance, probate issues. Probate is public record. So we're in a position where this big five motivator is seen in public record. We can reach out to these people and start a conversation. And the same thing with divorce. So divorce is public record. That is a court filing to end the uh, the marriage contract. So we're in a position where we can reach out to these people. The only one, guys, that we really can't get as public record is health and safety, right? If somebody gets cancer or somebody has a substance abuse problem or there's an abuse situation, which I feel like falls under health and safety, then we, we're not in a position really to, to, to have that. We're not privy to that information, okay? Questions on that from anyone right now? I've got a quick question, real quick. This, my name is Leon. Go ahead, Leon. Um, you, typically, where are your sources for your pre-foreclosures coming to? I know I've used Batch Leads and and um, yeah. one or two of these other guys in the past. Um, and um, where would you say your best sources to tap into them from? Yeah, really good question. So the question is, how do we find pre-foreclosure leads? I've used Batch Leads. I've used these other products. Uh, how do we find them? I think it's really important that you go directly to the registered deeds if you're only marketing local and get the information there. Uh, a lot of the registered deeds offices put their information online. So we actually have VAs that go in and research public record daily in the metros that we're pulling pre-foreclosure data from. And what we want to do is exactly what the problem is with batch leads or getting it from PropStream and these other sources is it takes some time from the time that 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 public record hits to the time that it's scraped by the software where, where if I do it manually, I'm going to have a good seven to 10 days heads up and head start on everybody else that's getting it from these aggregated sources. So we have people that are VAs offshore that go in to the county records and pull this data daily so that we can pull the substitute trustees or Liz Pendens filings and then uh, reach out through the various techniques that we do uh, because the data is fresh. So it's really important that you're one of the first one or two people that reach out to these people so that we can begin to, to hedge off the other investors. So we call it uh, throwing cold water. So the way that we throw cold water, it's like, oh, there's all these other investors or wholesalers. They call people like me to close because they don't have the ability to close. And they're going to want you to sign a contract and they're going to uh, want to, to make you an offer, a dirty lowball offer. So we're, we're, we're building the moat uh, away from those people, right? So, uh, I think researching public record and, and getting direct to, to, to seller quickly is really important in that. So how's your experience been, Leon, with uh, Batch and the other sources? Um, you know, it's, it, like it's, it's always back down to the data, you know. Yeah. Um, I haven't had any issues with Batch leads, per se. I, I ended up going offshore and finding a group out of Egypt that did my skip searching for me. And they reduced it from the 12 cents to like that four cents range, which made it more comfortable, you know? Mm. Um, so I haven't, I'm a little, you know, just my thing. I'm, I'm a real estate broker too, an agent too. Cool. And I've been here for years. So I kind of know how to pull from that whole agent. A lot of people don't know. <laughs> Core Logic is the company. They typically Correct. do all this for everybody and all these other, you know, white label setup forms. But they do it for agents too. So the data is typically there, but it's only there if you're in Georgia 
for typically Georgia. You know, you're not, gotcha. you can't really go to New York or some, some of these other places. So when I pull it from that source, which comes to, from the same source as Batch Leads, I find it to be equally as, as good, sometimes even a little bit better because I think they reported it there uh, before Batch Leads gets it, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. So are you getting regular transactions from this model? Yeah, we've been getting regular transactions from it when we go right to that realtor source more. You know, yeah. it seems like we come through batch leads. Um, so uh, when I give them a amount to dial, typically I try to keep it at about 10000 but it's kind of hard, you know, yeah. when you stay in Georgia. But I haven't ventured out to get outside of Georgia, and that's kind of why I'm here too. So. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. Georgia is a great market. I mean, I really like 75 north of Atlanta. You know, you start, I've got notes in Macon. I I like the Macon market, but Macon, Valdosta, those markets are a little bit cheaper. So it's just tough to really hit a lick like, you know, you're going to have in Marietta. I agree 100%. Definitely agree. Cool. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate the question, man. All right. Uh, Got a question from Ronnie. What's up, fella? Hello, Brad. I'm following the Yes, sir. So, I uh, finally got around to this, uh, doing some direct marketing, and I know you're big on holding the flame and not making offers. So the thing I thought about was, what do you think about having a postcard sent to the lot? I feel, you know, different sellers, potential sellers, and making the postcard look like a check, you know, made payable to them, except for just put uh, CDD, you know, with the amount of yeah. Yeah, that's a really cool question. So so Ronnie is one of my people, one of my seven figure people. So so the question is for those that didn't hear it, what if we do a direct mail piece that looks like a check? So a lot of times those are what, what are, are called zip letters. So um they have the the indentions on the side and, and at the top where you fold and you tear. And it opens up like a, a paycheck. You know, I used to work at a grocery store and they would look like that. Uh, it depends on what the the goal is. So a lot of people feel like more response is better. And you will absolutely get more response from those types of mail pieces. But a lot of them are going to be quite angry uh, at you for, for mailing it. So that's one of the things that I really disliked about direct mail. We used to send about 70,000 yellow letters a month out. And um, it just got to where it was very inefficient. Because you had about a third of people were very angry at you for calling. And then another 40 or 50% would be, oh, yeah, I'll sell a bajillion dollars, you know, and just be really outrageous with their pricing. Um, I think it's something you can test. You will get a result. I think that you'll get a a really great response rate, but the response is might not be what you want. So you can decide, you know, how much, uh, how much, Garbage you want to go through to find the gold nugget, which is what I look as at direct mail as, as being a lot of times. If you're doing mass direct mail to an equity list or like to a non-owner-occupied list, then, um, you know, it's kind of like you're in a 40-yard dumpster of construction debris and you know that there's $10,000 worth of gold in there somewhere, but you're going through all of this wreckage to try and find it. So, um uh, I've been ever uh, direct mailing to people that have been in their house over 20 years, over 50, and they have a two-story house. So a lot of times, people, after they get past a certain age, they don't want to have a two-story house. Right. So, you know, thank you. Uh, but talking about making, I had a deal there last week where I found a house that was the same grand, 
looked a little bit like this. So bought it 10K cash, owner financed it this way for 70,000, 10K down. So his cash is break even, but now he's got a note that pays him $600 per month from now on with no money in it. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, it's like, how many of these can we possibly do? Just as young Dolph would say, run it up. Well, I'm, I'm planning on doing at least 50 of them this year. I love it, man. Yeah. I got a list of off-market properties yesterday. Right in the general area of Macon and Columbus. Okay, cool. So are you, are you doing most of your stuff in, in Georgia now, Ronnie? Uh, doing Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee, but mostly in Georgia and Alabama. Cool. Love it, man. 50 deals. Very good, man. It's expanded with Investor Career. <laughs> well, it's so funny because Ronnie was thinking about going a different direction, and he asked my sister, who was doing coaching with us at the time, are you sure that I should be here, not over there? And I, I think that uh, uh, you're probably glad that you jumped in with us. Oh yeah, well that that mystery got solved pretty quick. I mean, the first deal I did 180 grand, so you know I, I kind of figured out that I made the right decision. Yeah, well, 180 thousand dollars later on the first deal, you feel a lot better about your decisions. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. All right, Joey, how you been, man? Hey, Brad, can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. Okay, I was, yeah, I don't know what was going on. <laughs> I knew you had it good, in you. man. How about yourself? Doing well, man. Just rocking and rolling. Uh, sometimes I feel like I've got a, a bull by the tail. I'm just trying to hang on. Nah, I hear you. <laughs> totally. I'm actually getting over this whole illness myself, but I'm just hanging in there day by day. I hear you, man. Everybody's been sick. Um, I got this deal. It's a tough situation, man. I don't, I don't know what to do for this lady. We feel really bad. It's really got us stressed out because we want to help her out. But uh, hmm. it's just... Um, it's not the best. The numbers aren't the best, but uh, I can just kind of run down the, uh, I guess, the scenario with you real quick. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so she needs money to relocate to D.C. She hasn't made a payment in like over a year on her house. And I don't know how she's not in already like in some kind of you know foreclosure. Um, the attorney didn't seem to think that she was when we ran title work, and they couldn't really figure that out either. So I don't know what's going on there. That was strange. But her mortgage is 158 and her... Um, PITI is seventeen hundred a month, and she's needing. Well, she was wanting like twenty k walk away. But we we obviously can't do that. We originally told her we could do one eighty, but then we found out that her what she owed was uh, a lot more than that. So her arrears is thirty four six, and we had offered her one eighty, but we're one we're like twelve and a half over what we had offered her. And the ARV is two sixty nine, and then the repairs are twenty. What are the repairs? I mean, right now, like. We're not, we're not 100% sure. We're actually, we sent an HVAC out there to check it out. Like HVAC, some minor stuff. I mean, that, the house, it, it's 1923 house. And I didn't get a full-on inspection, so I, I definitely am considering doing that. Um, my contractor usually does all of them for me, but on ones like this, you know, we want to be a little more thorough. 
So I've, I've bought a house, you know, this old a couple times before, and we've run into you know some issues. So right, it appears like electrical is good. I mean, there's there is a question with like a gas line. We do know there's a, like a small issue with that. So there's definitely a, a I mean, I guess a plumber would you know, would come out there and fix that, right? So there's a plumbing thing, but um, besides that, like the baths, the kitchen are already updated. I mean, they're it depends on, I guess, who you'd ask. Like, you know, if they if they like it or not. It's not the probably the most. I mean, it's not your modern like 20, 22, 23, you know, twenty four type you know rehab where the kitchen's white and everything. It's a lot of darker colors. But yeah, the house is in pretty good shape. But it has a shared driveway. It's on a really small lot. It's on a cul-de-sac, which helps. Um, and it's in a really good area. It's in a desirable area, but it's on a very like like small lot. There's hardly any backyard, hardly any front yard. And then we checked on the title, and she does have right away like there's an easement on her driveway, but she does not technically the the, the neighbor technically owns the land all the way to up to her house, basically. Right, right. Well, I mean, the mortgage company seemed to be okay with it, so as long as people are willing to lend, you know, the bank's willing to lend, then yes. yeah, I think that's okay. That's not an issue. Yeah. Right. So, do you know the rate on the on the one fifty eight? I don't have it in front of me. It's pretty high i can tell you it's it's not desirable it's not you know it's not under i want to say it's definitely over six percent yeah it's not a good rate what kind of loan is it do you know you may not just off the top of your head which is fine but i, I don't so i mean for me man he bought it like in 2018 and she owed she so she bought it in 2018 178 she put like 10 down on it so she had a note for like 168 and now she owes 192 so that, that tells you anything <laughs> yeah so it's tough, but I would feel really good about it if we could take the arrears and put it on the back end as like a, a, a HUD second or something like that. So doing a loan mod, you know, most of the time when they do that, the 35K goes at 0%. So it alleviates our need for cash on the deal and then you know what to do with it. But other than that, man, I mean, if the rate's not good, could you make it work? Yeah, I mean, we probably could. I mean, so let's just kind of uh, work backwards on it. So if it's a 270 ARV and it needs 20K in repairs, I'm probably going to underfinance it. At, let's just be a little bit conservative and say 280,000. So that's what we would underfinance the property for. Buyer doesn't have to get a, a bank loan or anything. We'll hold, hold the financing in-house. Probably get 25K as a down payment. So we're at what, 255, 65, 70? Yeah, 255,000 on the note. And so... The problem is the upfront cash. So the secondary issue that you could do or secondary process you could do with this is to bring in a private lender for the difference. So if we run 255000 on a 30-year at 8%, then we have 18. So this is PIN is eighteen seventy one per month. And so if we look at the $1,700 payment that is the underlying, that is a principal interest taxes and insurance payment. So Let's just deduct 300 off of that. I mean, it's nineteen early 1900s house, so the insurance is going to be kind of expensive. So ballpark, right. ballpark PI out would be 1400 which means the difference there would be 471 per month that we could have. So cash flow, 471 per month. Note here, 255 minus the 158 is a good note. We got $97,000 in note. The problem is the cash. So cash, we have 25K come in, 35 go out for arrears. And then what did we get the walk away to? 
that's the question. I mean, it's pretty much whatever, you know, she needs, I think at least like 6,000 to, to move. Let's just call um, it 10. Yeah. So 25 minus 35 minus 10. So we're, we're at negative 20 grand from, from any other perspective. Does it make sense for us to invest $20,000 to take a $97,000 asset that cash flows $400 per month? Yeah, it does. You know, it's close to a 25% cash on cash. You're buying a 97K asset discounted for 20. Pretty good, but I don't want to personally put my cash in. So I would raise the 20 grand. We would still do this deal. Going through it, we would do this deal. So let, let yeah. me pause there. Questions on that? No, I think I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I was looking at it a little bit differently, but yeah, the way you're breaking it down now, I think we could probably get it done. Yeah. We've had some issues with you know finding our you know, owner finance, you know, buyer. Um, and with this, with it being, you know, the $1,700 a month, little higher payment. And with the the weird situation with the driveway, I was wondering it might take a little longer, but I guess maybe not. Maybe it's mean, just freaking me out. Look at the days on market by price range in this market. So if you look at, you know, 250 to 300 is probably the bucket I would look in. See what days on market right. looks like for that, for retail. And that's kind of like, in my opinion, your worst case scenario, because Probably if you had to, you could match rates with mortgage lenders right now and get an A paper borrower. So if your 158 is at say six and a quarter, you could still sell this at seven and do okay cash flow wise. Okay. But then you get an A paper borrower that literally could, you know, buy this house and go to a bank and, and get the financing, but you're holding the money, right? And cash flowing with someone that has stellar credit and you know, your note is pretty valuable. Does that make sense? So if you look at the retail market, days on market, I think that puts you in kind of a worst case scenario. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, in this particular neighborhood, the days on market aren't, aren't too um, too bad. It's like maybe like a month, like 30 days. Yeah. Where, where's this located? In Columbus. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, so pretty good market. You know, I, I don't think you'll yeah. have any trouble with this. So yeah, I mean, look, I think we just take it down. So let's try to get the 35K put on the back end at 0%. And that alleviate this, that turns this deal from like a pretty good deal, like an okay deal right. to like an Sorry, amazing. Columbus, Columbus, Georgia. That's why Columbus is not Columbus, Ohio. But I knew. Columbus, Georgia. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. 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 So if we can take the 35K and put it on the back end at 0%, it, this deal goes from like, okay, like pretty good, not terrible, not amazing to like pretty damn good. You know, because so I've never done I've never done that. The loan mod. How how's that? Can you explain a little more about that? Well, you'll have to get power of attorney, and you don't want to do it before right. you you take title. You want to do it before you take title. Okay. So part of the okay. loan modification process, there's an affidavit that the seller signs that says that they're the owner of the house. And if you take right. title to this sub two and then go back and try to loan mod it, that's that's mortgage fraud. So you, we don't right. want to do that. It's like we're too pretty for prison. What about what about just so you're just going on the deed? So you're basically just going on the you're going on the deed, but you're not you're so you're not taking title, but you is that right? But I can I can still it's like you said I can't go on the deed. Not before the loan mod. Okay. So you want to go through the loan mod process and then transfer title and close. Okay. The problem is, is yeah, the the main issue we have right now is she is uh like we don't have that much time. <laughs> I thought you said that like there was long foreclosure. Well, she's not, but she has no money. Like we've been literally like, we're already out money. Like we've just been out of the, you know, the goodness of our heart, just like basically trying to help her out. Like we paid for groceries and other stuff. Just trying to, you know, help this lady out. No way we managed to get it back. Gotcha. Because she literally, she has no money. Wow. She's in a tough situation. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially you could do like a master lease option on it until you close. So 
but then you're outlaying cash with no real control. And I, that's why I don't like lease options. You know, could you what do about, that? Have you heard about this installment like thing where like basically it's like owner financing, I guess, similar to the land contract we can, we understand it is, you know, we basically put money down. It's kind of like non-refundable, but when we do that, we've already cleared title, you know, which we've already run title work and things. So that's all good. She would get, uh, you know, whatever we agreed to that lump sum, then they add us to the deed, but it's kind of tricky in that part. Like we, so you're saying we, we, we probably wouldn't be able to do that though. Cause then we can do the loan mod, but, right. but you're not, it's, you're not, it's basically, they would be, it would be added, but they wouldn't be like closing if that makes sense. Right. So we're not, we could still, we could skirt like the FHA rule from what I understand about how, how to do this. So like if we took a retail, but I mean, that's not probably yeah what we do in this scenario because yeah. obviously there's not enough room to take it retail. Yeah. And a lot of this like is going to be governed by state law, which, you know, I'm not an attorney in that state, but anytime like we approach like affidavits and like doing loan modifications and loan docs and all that, like this is federal, you know? So like, I, I don't want to even approach the gray area. And that's why I say, look, let's just stay off of title. Let's do the loan modification. It's a hundred percent above board. And then if, if they want to close with us, then we can close later, you know? Right. I mean, you'd be committing fraud potentially if you are on, on the, and then you do the loan mod, like you're saying. Correct. Yeah, that's like, we don't want to do that. Yeah. No, no, that's a bad day. That's a yeah. bad day. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, check into that. I mean, I don't know that you don't just raise a private money for the 35, but if the loan modification was going to happen quickly, it depends on the bank, you know? So one of your questions was how quickly, I mean, we've had them go nine months. We've had them go 30 days. So 30 days might be workable. Nine months, it's just like close or not. You know, it's just too much time. I'm pretty sure I can get that. That might be the easiest way to go. I can get the private money up and then, you know, at a reasonable rate, maybe yeah. like 10%, something like that. That would be beautiful, man, because the, the payment to them is going to be paid out of the cash flow on the note. So it's not even going to be your money. So you're going to walk into this deal with no cash, walk out with a $97,000 note that cash flows. Right. Well, but then I got the three. Now I think about that. If I'm doing like ten percent, it's only three hundred dollars. That I need into that cash flow. I wouldn't be making that much in cash flow. No, you wouldn't be making that much but, in cash flow. But I would amortize the loan, the twenty k, the thirty five k difference, or whatever the twenty k difference. I would amortize it on four or five years. So the the full payment that the full right. cash flow position I would put on that loan to pay it off, and then cash flow later. Yeah. And for the people new that have no idea what we're talking about, that is okay. So me and Joey go back. So we've had this, these conversations before. So it's like, oh, you know, I'm kind of thinking about real estate investing. Let me jump on this call. Like, yeah, you're not supposed to know what we're talking about. I have another question that it's not, it's kind of, a, it's more of a newbie question, but so it might apply to some of these people. Somebody asked me the other day and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to it, but I want to make sure I'm, I'm clear on it. So let's say, let's just say the scenario, she doesn't have a husband. Let's say she had a husband. He was sick. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just for shits and giggles. And let's say that, you know, he might die soon and we're planning on keeping this thing as a rent, you know, basically just doing it on a wrap and, and as a rental or as a, just, you know, like you're saying as a note and, and, uh, the guy dies. Well, I guess in this situation, if, if, if you were going to like keep it as a rent, it's more like as a rental question, it, or we're going to sell it like in a, the property later on down the road in the future, it would have to go through probate, correct? Well, it depends on how titles vested. So if it's okay. vested, where when one person dies, that all ownership goes to the other, that passes outside of probate, you know? So that's like the first issue. And then secondly, it comes down to like, who's the heirs, who has a will, all that kind of stuff. But if you've already been titled the property, 
title's gone. There's nothing to probate. Okay. So, so yeah. So that, so then even if in this scenario, there's the husband and the wife, if, uh, you go, you've, you've already taken title of the property, then you won't have to worry about that. Yeah. I'm, there's nothing to probate. They don't own it. So it's just like, you know, Tasha's house, if I die. Yeah, because yeah, they're just on the note. Correct. Not, they don't own the house anymore. That, that's right. Yeah, there, there's nothing to probate. Yeah, we have that happen. I'm not going to say all the time, but it's, it's a couple dozen times, probably. And as far as the note goes, are, do you guys have to then refinance it or or do you just keep on making the payments? No, we, could, we keep making the payments. I mean... I mean, I've gotten mortgages that we've been paying on for seven years that the person's passed away, been gone the whole time. So there, there's nothing in a note that requires a payoff if there's a deceased person outside of reverse mortgages. So reverse mortgages are an exception to that. But any- So I thought, I didn't think there was an issue there. I, just, no. I wanted to just double check on it. Yeah. And my understanding is that it goes against the uh, Garmin St. Germain Act. So- yeah, they, that now? yeah. Th- there's a Garmin St. Germain Act. Uh, I think it was in the 80s that is that in part made it to where you can't call a, a mortgage loan based on doing sale over a transfer to a trust. But it, it also has, in my understanding, you know, again, I'm not an attorney, but my understanding is that it's also it goes through how um, uh, if there's a death that is not a trigger of, of doing sale. So you can pass from Grandpa Jones to heirs without any type of a due on sale issue. Right. Yeah, because I thought that there were, I had read somewhere where there could be a due on sale issue when the, in the event of someone passing. Yeah, no, that, that's not correct. Cool. Cool. Yeah, good stuff, good man. Deal. Good to see you. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. All Me right. Miss Kelly, did we buy that lake house? Ah, halfway. Halfway? I know. The husband signed on Monday, and supposedly the ex-wife is, she's going to be signing. She doesn't have to review it, but she has, yeah, so we're just sort of in waning right now. So question for you, though, about that, and that's why I was uh, joining the call, is so they want to close as soon as possible, and We've never really had a deal where they wanted to actually close as soon as possible. It's usually been, you know, 30, you know, 60, 90 days down the road. So in this case here, should we, you know, granted, as soon as we get the the ex-wife to sign, should we do the home inspection and start the title work at the same time? Or should we still just wait until we get the inspection done and then give it to title? So when did they want to close? They want to close. He wants to close in two weeks. He wish it was gone. He wish it was already gone. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to start everything at the same time. So what what I did do on the PSA is I had done something you had said you used to do, where we said standard policy. You know, we put the closing date ninety days out, but as soon as we have everything done, we'll get it closed as soon as possible. So right. just go ahead and do everything at the same time. If we have to do an addendum. You know, we would do an addendum if, you know, all the, the home inspection comes back really bad or whatever. You know, I'm, I in this case here, I think the numbers are to the point where we would buy it no matter what because of the ARV on it. Yeah. So just run your home inspection and, and title at the same time. One okay. thing you don't want to do, like if it's off in the distance, is uh, let's say somebody wants to close in six months, which does happen. You, you don't want to start title or your home inspection now because it's not going to be super relevant by then. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that, that all sounds good. Wonderful. Thanks so much, sir. I'll keep you posted. Cool. Rock and roll. All right. Justin, what say you? 
Hey, Brad, how you been? Good, buddy. How about you? Not too bad. I ran this by Tyler, but I have some updated numbers um, as far as, and I, and I wanted to get your opinion. Cool. Um, so I'll run the numbers by you and then let you know what the situation is. Deal or no deal? Um, so, yeah. Uh, mortgage is 154, walk away zero. Um, repairs, let's go 20. ARB is 230, and updated arrears is 30K. PI on this is 9.33, and she said it was interest rate 3.6, but looking at the paperwork, it looks like it's a five point something. I don't know if some changed or if she was wrong or misled me. So situation, I get a call from another investor, actually an investor's assistant saying, hey, I saw you have um, a memorandum on this property. We're trying to close kind of thing. My last contact with her was about a month ago i ran this by you and she she basically said she's selling to somebody else i told her i'm going to do my due diligence i still need photos from you uh we were waiting on a um loan mod i said let me know if the loan mod comes back i'm happy to close this is a divorce slash foreclosure i initially papered her it took a couple of months to get him papered so the arrears just kept building the building um, by the time I got him papered, it was at 22 and then he wanted 20 on top of that. So the numbers didn't work out without the loan mod. Gotcha. Um, but now I have a local investor in that area that, um, is looking to fix and flip and close, but they don't know about the arrears. Uh, they basically, he basically, she basically told them about the mortgage and that was it. Nothing about arrears. Right. So the 154, is that a payoff or is that a, uh, on a mortgage statement? No, that, that is the current mortgage without the arrears added. Yeah. Uh, I can see if I got a current payoff. I mean, as it stands, there's no way to pay cash. So, I mean, if it's creative, then maybe, I mean, the rate sounds, I mean, at 5%, it's not terrible at 3% it's good. So I mean, it just kind of depends on where we're at there. Uh, it doesn't show a payoff. I don't have a payoff statement. I got a current mortgage statement that just shows that basically 29 some in arrears. Yeah. Well, and it's going to be more than that because they're going to tackle on attorney's fees and all that. So the only way that I would do this is if the, the 30K arrears was put on the back end as a second, just kind of like me and Joey were talking about. And I went through with her to the mortgage company and did the application. I don't think, I don't know if she ended up actually finishing the application. She's been very lack of communication until she said she found another buyer. And then again, I haven't talked to her since then. So I speaking to Tyler, he's, he basically said, see what they'll give you as far as payout to release memorandum. But I got a feeling now that I told him, Hey, there's a rear. I'm pretty sure unless the low mod went through and then I'd still be interested in, move it forward as far as the loan mod. And I said, let me know what, what, as far as what you want, guys want to give me as far as releasing the memorandum. And I'm waiting on a call back from the assistant's boss to let me know what they want to do. He mentioned going 50, 50, as far as moving forward for a fix and flip on their end. Um, that, that sounds messy to me. No, what you could do is, is take a lien on the property for your profit. And then that way you're not tied to them as a partnership and you're not on title. So then that way you're due the money that would, that would work. That would be okay. So if, if they are like, well, what's your expected expected profit? Well, we're going to make 70,000. It's like, well, I tell you what, man, I'll discount my 35. 
you give me a $27,500 second on the property when you buy it. And then that way you can keep more profit. And then that way you don't have to be involved with it. Yeah, that sounds like a better idea. But I, I have a feeling it's not going to work out for them now that they know there's some arrears involved. And I double, just double checked and there's arrears. Uh, she just yeah. didn't tell them about them. So she, she, I papered it in October. And then even, even before we even um, went anywhere with it, she paid, they papered her with her in November. That's funny, man. I mean, I can't believe a seller would lie to us. Can you guys believe that? <laughs> the people that are experienced are, are, are laughing their, their ass off. Cause they, they know it's like, yeah, yeah. About, about a third of them. Exactly. Um, so should I just be like, wait until they, if they want to move forward, be like, give me whatever to release a memorandum. This, he, the husband's a pain in the butt. Um, she's lack of communication. Yeah. I, I would rather have this off my hands and be done with it. But if they, if they say, look, we didn't know about arrears, we're backing out too. Where do I go with this from here? If they're out. Well, you don't go anywhere. So, uh, but let's talk about one thing real quick. So one thing you can't do is hold title hostage. So you can't record a memorandum and then require someone to pay you to release a memorandum. So the conversation when you guys run into this, so for my newer people, a memorandum of contract is uh, really an affidavit that's placed on title. Anytime that a contract is on a property, you can record, depending on, on the municipality or the recorder's office, you can record uh, a cloud on title that says that there's a contract. So in case they decide to um, kind of zoomed in on me. That's fine. Um, whenever, uh, if if Sally Jones puts it a, a property under contract with me and then a week later they decide to sell it to, for 5K more to, to John, then, and John goes and pulls title, then he's going to see my memorandum of contract and that clouds title from him buying. But what we can't do is hold title hostage. So the the conversation with another real estate investor, so like I'm waiting on a 5K wire right now on a deal where we did this. And it's like, look, we intend to close, but if you want to buy me out, then I'm happy to look at an offer. So that way it's like, it's not, hey, you have to, to pay me off. No, I intend to close, which is what my contract is there for. But if you want to make me an offer, then I'm happy to look at it. And so that's what I would tell you to do. So if you talk to them, it's my intention to close, but if you 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 want it more than I do, then make me an offer, and, and I'm happy to look at it. And and I did. That's that's the way the conversation went. I told him. I said I was looking for a 64k profit. I've been waiting to close. I've been just waiting for the loan mod, and, and we're going to move on to on to closing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. If they come back and say the deal's not working out for us because of the 30k in arrears, um, it's all yours. <laughs> Where do I go from here? Well, then you, you take a harder look at it. But it, just because they exit doesn't mean that you have to release your memo. From what, from your point of view, with these numbers, without a loan mod, is this deal even worked out? Probably not. But I would, I would leave the memo in place. You know, if the city comes in and and rezones it all because they're putting in a new NFL stadium, then this might change. You know, but if we release a memorandum for no reason, then we don't have the opportunity. Okay. So do I need to keep reaching out to her as far as, hey, I'm still waiting on photos. Did Loma come in? I mean, I've already done that. She didn't reply. Do I need to continue to do that to keep that, like me wanting to close in force or just doing it one time and waiting for her and no response, that's enough? I would probably do one final reach out and just say, hey, you're non-responsive. I'm trying to close. You're not acting in good faith. 
please give me these these items and I'm ready to move forward with the transaction. Just like one final, but I, what I want in writing is like, you're not acting in good faith because a party, being a party to a contract, it's it's basically underwritten that uh, you have the, the parties need to act in good faith to fulfill the contract. So if they're not, and look, even if the contract expires, then it doesn't matter. You know, that it's, it, you still have a, a valid contract, most states. So yeah, one more reach out. Okay. And should I, should I mention that uh, the other investor that you signed a contract with right after me reached out about close, do I mention that in there at all? I, I don't think it's relevant. All right. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Cool. Rock and roll. All right. Circling back to Leon. Yeah, Brett. Um, had a quick question. It won't take long. When you typically do your second lean positions, loans on that, when you raise the capital, mm -hmm. what are you aiming for um, as far as a percentage and typical time frame? In terms of what we're paying the lender? Yeah. In, in terms of what you're paying the lender. Yeah. Um, have you found a sweet spot? Yeah. So we really want to make sure, in my opinion, that our lenders do well. So I, I'm not the one that tries to nickel and dime the lender. You know, I think and, and here's the problem with these small seconds is that you can have a higher high interest rate that would be appealing otherwise, but it just doesn't turn into any money. So like if you're buying, if you're raising $20,000 at 18%, that's still just $300 per month in interest. So it's not even worth dealing with. Like they're not making any money off of it, you know, and they still have to underwrite the deal. They still have to send the wire, look at the paperwork. So it's exactly why most local banks don't, or even big banks don't do loans under $100,000 anymore is that they have so much cost in labor and they're not getting enough interest back to offset it. You know, because you can do a $100 million loan with almost the same amount of work as a, a $200,000 loan. So I think, you know, a, a $2,500 minimum in points and then an interest rate of, you know, 12, 15% makes sense. Because here's the thing for us, it doesn't matter to us if we're taking over 2%, a 2% loan that's $200,000 and we're raising $20,000 at 12%, our weighted interest rate is still like 3%. So it's still extremely, extremely cheap as a deal. Don't worry about really what the lender's making. What And and I built my business off of, of money that I can get to. You know, So I'm, I'm not the one that tries to go and find the cheaper money. Most of the time when I've had cheaper money, I've given it back because they're a pain in the ass. You know, So uh, I'd rather deal with professional lenders that know the business, that understand what we're doing, that are happy to fund and do it quickly as opposed to someone that is trying to figure out their last $200,000, what they're going to do with it. It's high risk for them. They're, 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 they're anxious, all that. Like, no, let me go deal with the people that, that understand the business. So 2,500 in points minimum, and then, you know, 12, 15% on a one-year loan, something like that makes sense for them. And, and we would do. Okay. Cool. Good question, man. All right. Pranav, what's happening? Hey, uh, just talking about the loan mod, uh, you know, the loan mod is good. Sometimes the numbers work out well, but you know, the time crunch that we have sometimes, yep. you know, how to balance that? Is there a way around for the loan mod versus, you know, getting the seller out of the property, you know, things like that. You know, sellers sometimes get anxious, you know, I want to sell it off, move on quick. And here we are doing the loan mod. Yeah. I try to only do the loan mod if that's the only way that the deal is going to work. So if we're in a position where the only way it's going to work is to do this, and that's the only path we have forward anyway, and we can talk to the seller. And I think it's important that we set realistic expectations for people. It's like, hey, 
it may be like this. It may be like that. They may deny it. I can't do it. If you want to try, we can try. But the only way that I can do it is like this, you know, and then that way it's not, and it's almost a negative sell. You know, it's not like, Hey, we can do this. I can make it work. It's like, Hey, I don't know if this is going to work for me to be interested. This is kind of what it needs to look like. And then it's up to them. You know, it's their decision and, and we're okay with it either way. But if we have deep equity, we're just going to close. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes I, I totally agree on that. Sometimes, you know, the deal can only make sense if we do the loan mod. Correct. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. So how do you present to seller that I'm going to do a loan mod? What would you call, say then? Well, it, it's just a conversation of, okay, so if I can get you X amount of cash at closing, then you had some of the house today. Okay, cool. So the only way that I can do that is if we're able to take this $60,000 in arrears and put it on the back end of the loan. And so what that is, is it's called a loan modification. It's a process with the bank we have to apply for. So I guess before we go forward, is that something that you're even interested in? If I could even pull this off, you know, and we don't have to do it, but for me to be interested in it, that's the direction that I have to go because otherwise it's just, it's a bad use of cash to type $60,000 on this house. You know, I can buy better deals with it. So which direction do you want to go? So that, that's kind of the, the, the conversation. Okay. So you'll tell them we are trying to put the areas on the back end of the loan. You'll, you'll say that up front. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, yeah. Brad. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. All right, cool. Out of questions, anybody else have anything? Uh, just one more thing, Brad. Yeah. Like, if you're doing the loan more, how do you keep the seller calm? You know, this process is going to take maybe 30 to 60 days sometimes. Uh, anything... We can do there, you know, if seller is getting anxious. I had a situation like that, you know, seller was like, I want to sell it off. And the only way, loan mode, loan mode was the only way. And I did not do that deal because seller was getting anxious. It can be tough, man, because you think about the big five motivators. If I was in a divorce pre-foreclosure and uh, a tired landlord all at the same time, I'd probably be pretty anxious too. And the best thing that we can do is try to set up realistic expectations. So I like to do that with ranges. You know, I've seen it take 30 days. I've seen it take nine months. Now, is that something that would even work? You know, and it's okay if it doesn't because I can buy another house, but for me to buy this one, it has to look like this. So, you know, then that way they're not surprised. If we say, hey, it's 30 to 45 days and it's 60, we look like an idiot. But if we say it might be nine months and it's it's 90 days, we still look pretty smart. So just setting up realistic expectations on the front end and really the negative sell on the front end, I think is is important because the more you feel, they feel like you want the deal, you're trying to get it done, the more they're going to press on you. But if you can say, hey, do you remember at the beginning, I said, hey, for me to do it, it had to be like this and it may take this amount of time. Do you remember that conversation? Then you have a little bit more frame overall. Makes sense. Yeah. Holding the frame is important. Setting realistic expectation up front is important. Negative All the time. Uh, all the time. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. All right, guys. Next week, we're going to talk about scaling ads. So we talked a little bit about sweat marketing, the commitment. We're going to talk next week about how do we get a replicatable purchase machine where we can input marketing dollars and have the output be really predictable and sustainable. Okay. Talk about that next week. Appreciate you guys being with us. We'll see you guys then. Have a rocking week. Bye.